Alright, so we are in Romans chapter 5, and this next pa- this passage that we're going to look at, this is one that depending on um, what the person's hang-up is, when I'm out soul winning, uh, every once in a while, this is kind of a passage I'll go to if it seems like somebody is struggling with the freeness of salvation. And I want you to notice, I'm going to emphasize certain things to just show that Paul here is emphasizing something just to a total extreme. And Kelly, you're going to have to sit by your mom, all right? If you don't, don't stop talking. So, getting distracted up here. But uh, Romans 5.15 says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift. And I would encourage you, if you use these soul maybe underline these things so people see these. I have it underlined here in my notes. Uh, is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one came, or the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. One person's obedience brought righteousness, not yours. Not Christ plus yours. One man's obedience. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. And folks, that passage right there, I think says as much as you can possibly say about what we believe. It emphasizes it. I mean, it's repetition. It's overemphasis. I mean, it's just over and over again. It's like he's trying to drive a point home. So it just leaves no room for doubt. And without a doubt, salvation is truly free. Grace is truly free. And the reality, if it's not free, it's not even really grace. If it's because grace is unmerited favor, therefore, if you put merit on it, then it's not grace. It, grace has just ceased to be grace if that is the case. And so I want to preach a message tonight, though, warning everyone about people that churches like ours are very likely to encounter. These people are all over the Internet. They love, they love to come in to churches, stir things up. And I've talked with pastors about some of these people because sometimes people connect these people to me. And listen, when people hear free grace, I hope they think of Tommy McMurtry. Okay, because I am definitely a a free grace believer. However, when I hope when people come across free grace one-uppers, as I'm going to call them, I don't want them to think about me. But unfortunately, they kind of do. And and I and I hear I hear about stuff that goes on with these people. I, I know from trusted sources uh, what they can do uh, and and how they operate in these churches, and they frustrate me greatly. But let me just say, what when it comes to this free grace? Okay, they call themselves free graces. I'm not quick to accept labels, especially if they don't have a clear definition attached to them. And I do want to say because, but at the same time, 
when people ask, hey, are you replacement theology? Well, I like this. Well, how do you define replacement theology? Or if you're, you know, whatever, I like, well, how do you define it? You know, like they'll say, do you believe the reprobate doctrine? Well, how do you define the reprobate doctrine? Because, again, there's Calvinist reprobate doctrine. There's new IFB reprobate doctrine. There's, there's, there's old time reprobate doctrine. You know, so you've got to define these things for me before I will accept the label. So what I did, I, if you look up free grace according to Wikipedia, I will say, if, you, if you're asking me if I'm a free gracer, according to Wikipedia, 100% so. So let's let, let, let me read their definition. It says, free grace theology is a Christian soteriological view which holds that the only condition of salvation is faith, excluding good works and perseverance, holding to eternal security. Yeah, I wish we had some verses on that. Oh, wait, it's not of works. It's a gift of God. All right, and we, we have plenty of verses, but we're not going to take time. to. Uh, but this it goes on to say, free grace advocates believe that good works are not the condition to merit, as with Catholics, to maintain, as with Arminians, or to prove, as with most Calvinists, salvation, but rather are part of discipleship and basis for receiving eternal rewards, unlike hypergrace. This soteriological view distinguishes between salvation and discipleship. The call to believe in Christ as Savior and to receive the gift of eternal life and the call to follow Christ and become an obedient disciple, respectively. Free grace theologians emphasize the absolute freeness of salvation and the possibility of full assurance that is not grounded upon personal performance. So, I agree with that completely. I I think that explains it good. And I love how it distinguishes... Uh, you know, unlike Arminians, unlike Calvinists, unlike hypergrace. So, I mean, this is like, this is good. Yeah, stamp that label on my forehead. If you, when you say free grace, you mean what's explained right here for sure. Now, it drops some names in here. I don't know the, I don't know much about these people. I don't know anything about some of these people. But um, uh, it says Norman Geisler has divided the view into a moderate form and a more radical form. The moderate form being associated with Charles Ryrie and the more strong form with, with Zane Hodges. And so uh, I don't know anything about those people. I just know that um, Charles Ryrie uh, recently got marked by one of these free grace one-uppers and, and that kind of got some stuff going in the free grace online community that is filled with nut jobs. Okay? And so again, I'm not going to defend Charles Ryrie's salvation. I don't know anything about the guy. But here's the thing about these free grace people, they are constantly exposing everyone. I will probably get exposed after this sermon. All right? if, I, if I don't choose my words very carefully, I will get thrown into hell uh, by these people because that's just kind of how they are. And it's very, very frustrating. Constantly throwing everyone in hell. But I, do, I can say with confidence, I do, I do believe in free grace. And I, do, I know many examples of these people, though, who claim this term, who kind of claim to be these champions of free grace, who are really big troublemakers. And they kind of make us, they kind of make us look bad. A lot of these people too are doctrinal, um, you know, they, they go into churches too where, let's just say, admit it, in a lot of IFB churches, we've got saved men behind the pulpits, but they're also doctrinal novices. Okay, I hate to say that about IFB because I love the IFB, but you know what? Most IFB pastors ought to be ashamed of their inability to defend what they preach. And I, I, I think it's sad. 
And let me tell you, more and more of these IFB preachers, because they are so politically motivated, instead of being doctrinally motivated, they are buying into bad terminology. They are aligning themselves with bad people. And what's happening is you've got these foaming at the mouth free gracers that are extremely lewd and lascivious that come into their churches and they're all saying the right things while foaming at the mouth and causing problems. And then in the meantime, you know, you have your people who look like Christians, you know, who act nice and sweet, who are saying all the wrong things. And it's like, naturally, who do you want to side with? The lewd, foaming at the mouth guy saying all the right things or the nice looking sweet guy saying the wrong things. Now, obviously, if you know the truth, if you know doctrine, well, then you're not going to stand with the smiling sweet guy. But at the same time, these people who've not been taught to defend anything, they typically end up kind of gravitating towards those who have an appearance and a form of godliness. And as a result of it, their, their message is getting very mixed up. And so in the meantime, there are some of these guys that I think are, are getting pulled in the wrong direction. They're getting pulled over by some of these uh, you know, p- people that are repent of sins and use a lot of bad terminology or kind of John MacArthur-esque type people. And, you know, and they're, they're kind of getting pulled in that direction. People like me are trying to say, hey, you know, this is wrong. But the problem is I'm saying stuff that sounds too much like the people that are foaming at the mouth, causing problems, being wicked, just stopped smoking pot last week and they're ready to straighten the pastor out. And so it's like, you know, I just kind of wish these people would shut up. It's just like, hey, can you try to get your act together? You know, and that's why, too, it's important. Our testimony matters, folks. Okay, If our gospel is true, but if we have a bad testimony, people are going to have a hard time hearing what we actually have to say, no matter how good it is. Okay, I'm sorry, but if I go this week and I get in a fight with a guy at, at, at Walmart, you know, over something, and I'm cussing him out and all that kind of stuff, and then I go knock on his door bringing the true gospel, do you think that guy's going to listen to me? No, he's not going to listen to me. Uh, I don't understand why. You know, my gospel's right. He don't care. Hey, he, all he knows is that's the guy that beat me up because I, you know, got to the last Hershey bar before him or something like that. You know, it just, we, we, our testimony matters. Our testimony says something. And we, we need to care a little bit more about these things. But again, the problem with these people I'm talking about, they're not, their problem isn't that they're free grace believers. They are free grace one-uppers, is what I'm going to call them. And if, if you want to know what a one-upper is, in the Urban Dictionary, okay, because obviously this is a kind of a modern term, but I, I like the definition. The first part, an annoying person. These people are all annoying. They do. They are like the free gracers. Some of them, I listen to them for entertainment sometimes because it, it, they are very carnal. It's kind of funny watching them throw everybody in hell all the time. You know, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Okay. Uh, I, I, will, I will not share this online. I, I have it saved on my computer and I will not share it with anyone digitally because I don't want to get it out there. But I actually one time made a video preaching a sermon um, kind of imitating one of these free grace guys, and I'm, I'm telling you, it was like dead on, ac- accurate. And you know, and it, it was against John MacArthur, where I just basically called him a whole bunch of names and stuff. And listen, I don't like John MacArthur <laughs> at all. But if, if you're familiar with some of these people, you would know how funny it is. And it is, it's, it's carnal. It is appealing to our flesh 
to listen to somebody that we don't like or to listen to somebody talk about someone we don't like in a super negative way and just call them every name in the book. Isn't that not what we want to hear? Hey, listen, if I hear somebody talking about John MacArthur, I don't want to hear him say nice things about him. I want to hear him call, I want to hear him call him a reprobate, blood-denying devil, you know, and just, it, it, it's enjoyable, okay? So what if they go a little too far? That makes it even more enjoyable, okay? It's just because, you know, we don't like some of these people, and so they are, they're very carnal, but at the same time, too, they're, they're, they're annoying. It's like, I'm glad, I don't want to be associated with them. So it's an annoying person who responds to hearing someone else's experience or problem by immediately telling a similar story about themselves with a much more fantastic or terrible outcome. Okay? And so basically, too, uh, you know, my wife has talked about, nobody goes to church here, ever been to church here, but there's this one person that she's, she's complained about before because no matter what problems somebody has, no matter what they're going through, they're going through something worse. You know, no matter how sick somebody else is, they're sicker. No matter, you know, no matter what, no matter how much their marriage is struggling, theirs is worse. But then, no matter how good somebody else's marriage is going, if that's what they're talking about, then theirs is better. That's how they are. They're always got to one-up you. Like, they're, they're always got to outdo you. And so that's how these free grace people are. They're always trying to outdo each other and how hardcore they are on free grace. They're always one-upping each other. Oh, you know, I don't believe salvation is by works. Well, I don't think salvation, well, I don't think salvation is by works. And I even think if you have to say a prayer, you're adding works of salvation. Oh, well, I, I think if you even have to say a prayer, you know, you know, then you're saying that's works. And not only that, I think even if you say you have to believe because you can't believe something without brainwaves and that takes life and activity and therefore that's works. And so, you know, I just, now we're Calvinists and, you know, God just saves you, you know, whether you like it or not. It's just, it's just shut up. It's like they're always trying to outdo each other on everything, you know, and they do. They, they're always calling out other free gracers. They're, uh, you know, for not emphasizing it being free enough. They're always exposing everyone. I came across this one guy's channel, like almost every video on his channel, so-and-so exposed, this person exposed, this person exposed. And it's just like, it, it, it's, it's annoying. Okay? And I, I, they're just, they're one-upping everybody all the time. And let me tell you, these people often get mistaken for new IFB. Okay? And in defense of the new IFB, a lot of these free gracers think the new IFB is heretics too. It's, it's true. They call out new IFB for like mandating salvation or prayer for salvation and therefore their work salvation too and, and, uh, for teaching the reprobate doctrine. Uh, and it's just, just dumb stuff. So again, I, I've had to tell pastors before. I was like, no, that's not new IFB. Uh, like, no, let's, let's not accuse them of something they didn't do. These guys even think the new IFB is heretics. So, uh, because, you know, the, the people accuse the new IFB of being one, two, three, repeat after me. Well, these guys think one, two, three, repeat after me is work, <laughs> too. So it's just, don't, you know, that, that's not fair. But if you Google, I Googled one upper two, and this is what one, uh, Google said. The one upper personality is those people who you walk into your life, listen to your stories, and immediately try to outdo you. They are always bigger. They are always better. It doesn't matter if you're talking about your upcoming honeymoon or an air fryer. They will always be superior, except they're not. <laughs> and that's what, it's like, that is perfect. That is perfect, because you just can't please these people. You cannot please them. And there's a reason for that. And this is why, again, churches like ours have to watch out for them, because we are, we are free grace. So if, if it comes to any church in this area, they're going to want to come. This is the, clo- this is, this is the free grace church. 
However, these people, they don't want to go to church. There is a reason they must one-up everybody. There is a reason they must expose everybody. And, and the thing is, too, I also don't want us to make the mistake that a lot of these, a lot of other churches are, where in our attempt to distance ourselves from them, we move away from right doctrine. Because, listen, I don't care how wicked some of these people are, I don't care how crazy some of these people are, I don't care if they're still smoke, you know, smoking crack you know, while talking about the free gospel or the free, free grace. It's still free grace. Okay? No matter how wicked these people are, the message of the gospel is still the message of the gospel, and we don't need to move away from that. We don't ever, I understand wanting to distance yourself from some people, but we don't, if we start distancing ourselves from doctrine, we go into heresy. And that's where you got to watch it. There's been people too that have gotten bent out of shape and mad at the new IFB and in an attempt to distance themselves from the new IFB, they distance themselves from the doctrine and you can't do that because the doctrine's good. Doctrine, the doctrine's good. You know, you might not like the people, you might not like certain things, but if you distance yourself from the doctrine, you know, then you're going to go into heresy. And the thing is too, people, they'll try to shame people like me and churches like ours by emphasizing the craziness of some of these internet jobs. They're saying, you're saying the same thing as them. Well, I can't help it. You know, this just happens to be true. Here's the question. Do I act like them? You know, if I'm acting like them, then get all over my case. But until then, leave me alone. And so I, I've, I've, you know, you know, they, I've ignored people like this for a long time because I'm glad they teach salvation right, but I'm tired of hearing stories of them causing problems and I'm tired too of some of these problems getting connected to me. You know, I'm tired of preachers too when they have these people come through their church. They're like, hey, do you know this person? It's like, well, why do you think I know them? Because <laughs> they're an idiot. And, they, and it's like, no. Yeah, it, but they do. They're, they're idiots, but they're very mouthy about some of the same things that we believe. And again, I am not going to just be, you know, I'm not going to change on doctrine just so I don't get associated with these people. But I am going to call out the wickedness because it is that goes on. And I also want to teach these things, too, because preachers, they need to understand you can't move from doctrine just to try to disassociate yourself with certain groups. You'll end up going into heresy. And I, I definitely don't want to get closer to the Calvinists. I might not like the foaming at the mouth free gracers, but I definitely don't want to be with the Calvinists, for, for sure. I, I don't, I, I don't like either of these groups, and so uh, I would go as far as saying that the the ones I've listened to, their salvation doctrine is the same as what we preach here, but that's it. All they have is salvation doctrine. They've got no, they've got nothing else. Many of these people too are not even fit to be members of a good church. While, and so while they're, they're able to preach a clear gospel, they are novices when it comes to any other doctrine. And let a, me remind everyone, as a church, we are, you know, we are, a, you become a part of this church when you are, as, when you are saved and baptized and you choose to join up with this church. But when you join up with this church, we as saved people who are already saved, we are working together to try to become more like Christ. We're trying to become better and we're also trying to advance the kingdom of God. And we are, therefore, we are not, we are not just soul winning, but we are also teaching everyone to observe all things whatsoever Jesus commanded. That's what we are doing as a part of that kingdom. 
And Hebrews 6, 1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. And so what the last several weeks, what have we been doing? We're just doing refreshers and reminding everybody about doctrines, things we believe. We've got these basics. We got salvation, repentance from dead works. We've already got that down. But you know what? Let's not just be like, well, we're saved. Let's spend the rest of our Christianity calling out and exposing everybody else that's unsaved. Or how about we do that and we also improve ourselves. We also learn more doctrine. We become better Christians. We become godly individuals. We become godly husbands and fathers and uh, godly uh, mothers and, and wives. We need to do all of these things. And we need to go on to perfection. And if you're satisfied with just being saved, you know what? Then feel free to stay home and just listen to the same salvation sermons over and over again. Listen to everyone on the planet getting exposed over and over again. But you know what? If you love the Lord and want to serve the Lord, you know what you need to do? You need to get into a church and grow in doctrine, fix your behavior, and you know what else you need to start doing? After you get saved and are secured forever, after you get in a church, you know what you need to start doing? You need to start repenting of your sins. That's what you need to start doing. You need to start repenting of your sins. Shut up. Not for salvation. Okay? You should, if you start learning things that you're not supposed to do, you should quit doing those things. Well, no, we can repent of all sins. I'm not telling you. I'm telling you to start repenting of sins. Start getting rid of, repent of some sin. Repent of any sin. Repent of anything. Repent of foaming at the mouth and being a crazy nut job. You know, just repent of something for crying out loud. You know, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be getting better. Oh, you're trying to say I have to do it to be saved? And that's what they do. They always make everything a salvation issue. That's all they do. And I'll, and I'll talk about that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But a lot of these people too, and, and, and I've talked to these pastors. It's like, They'll talk about these people coming in trying to straighten them out on doctrine. And the one thing they all have in common, they all haven't been saved even five years. Some of them haven't even saved a year. And they come into churches trying to straighten the pastor out, calling the pastor a heretic for dumb stuff. And I do not believe for two seconds these people are truly looking for churches to go to. I don't believe they want to live godly lives. I don't believe they want accountability in their life. They want an excuse to not go to church. And so what they always end up doing, because they're all they're so used to everybody being exposed and false prophets and all that, what they end up doing, they end up one-upping. They just one-up the pastor of any church that they go into so they can declare that pastor a false prophet and declare that church a bunch of unsaved goats. And therefore, they can continue being comfortable in their lascivious lifestyle. Listen, going to church... It is. It takes works. It takes forbearing one another. It takes forgiving one another. We got to put up with you. You got to put up with us. It requires labor, working together, patience. I mean, folks, we could go, I could go on and on with scriptures. Just all these things. When the Apostle Paul talking about being a part of a church, he's always talking about forbearing, forgiving, just putting up with each other. We have to do that. These people don't want to do that. When you're just an Internet person, you don't have to deal with people. Just knuckleheads in the internet, but then it's easy to just get on there and call them you unsaved reprobate goat devil. I mean, you know, and no consequences. No consequences at all. And that's what they're constantly doing. I've literally watched people just going back and forth. You're a reprobate. No, you're the reprobate. And it's just like, you all are insane. 
And it's just, I, I, it, it's absolutely frustrating. But in my, you know, in this message, I want to show, I want to help you recognize the free grace one uppers and how to avoid falling into their traps. And in my opinion, I don't believe there's so much of a sinister motivation with most of these people. I, I believe the problem is a lot of these people probably are saved. They are just extremely carnal and they're not growing. Because again, you know, my flesh likes watching people call out false prophets. Okay? I do. I like it in my spirit too, I think. But here's the thing, you know, it is. We like, do, do we not like watching fights? Okay? Is it not in our carnal nature to watch a good war? As long as it's not anybody personal that we, ha- we have a close connection to, people we love. Listen, it stinks exposing bad people in church. You know why? Because we love those people. That, it, it's the right thing to do, but it's hard. It's not fun. But people we don't care, people we don't like, it's exciting. It's fun. You know, oh, another villain. You know, and it's like everybody's, everybody's just looking for that Scooby-Doo moment. You know, it's like there's that moment at the end of every Scooby-Doo where they pull the mask off and it's like, oh, and then they all say the name together of whoever the person was. And it's just like these people, they love it. When a preacher comes along and rips the mask off and, oh, Tommy McMurtry, you know, who knew? Who knew, man? It's exciting. That's what everybody wants to see all the time. It's carnal. It's carnal. Now, you all wouldn't enjoy that because, you know, you all love me and you know I love you. But at the same time, there's all kinds of people on the internet. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Wow. I'm going to share that video. You know, people need, you know, just like go watch this episode of Scooby-Doo. You'll never believe who the monster was. You know, it's like you'll never believe who the next false prophet was. It's just, this is carnal stuff. And they, these people have, they have no skin in the game because they've not been in a church. They've not made any sacrifices. They don't have any love for people. But, you know, real life Christians that go to real life flesh and blood churches, you know, this is, this is serious business. And we need to watch out. We don't, we don't want to fall for these people's foolishness, the traps. But one of the, some things, marks of the free grace one-uppers. Okay, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. But the free grace one-uppers make everything a salvation issue. They make every doctrine a salvation issue. They turn it into that in an argument. Okay, it's like as a pastor, it's very important that I teach Christians how to live godly lives. They don't want to hear it, so they try to make it a salvation issue. But look, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Now, listen, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 proves what free gracers preach about salvation. But as a church, we understand, hey, we didn't get saved because of our works that we did, but God has ordained that those of us who are saved, that we do some good works. So you know what we do as a church? We get together and we try to provoke each other to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Because we want to do good works. Because that is God's will for our life. But they do this typically because they're, they're typically doctrinal novices. They refuse to grow as a Christian. They refuse to learn about holy living. They refuse to learn about perfection. And even Titus 2, they all know Titus, or Titus 3 verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He hath shed on us abundantly 
through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. They all know this verse. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So right after that verse that makes it as clear as anything how salvation is not about works, Paul is saying, hey, make sure you constantly affirm that people do good works. Why? Not because they'll keep you saved. Well, you think i got to do the good works to stay saved? No. No, I don't. I've watched some of these people too question pastors you know, online. And it's like no, the pastor, if he does not use all the identical rhetoric they do, they try to name, make him a false prophet. Well, do you think a person saved by works? Pastor, no. Oh, well, do you think a, past, do you think a person has to, uh, if a person is saved, that they will do good works? Well, no. Oh, well, what do you think if I, you know, if a person gets saved and then they fly airplanes in the World Trade Center saying Allahu Akbar that they're still saved? And the pastor's like, well, they probably aren't saved. Ah, you work salvation. Works-based justification. It's like they're always asking these tr- tricky questions to trip pastors up. And sometimes they take the bait and fall for it. Because listen, if I see some guys flying airplanes in the World Trade Center saying Allahu Akbar, I'm going to think, I don't think those guys are saved. Anybody else going to think those guys are saved? Oh, you think a person, in order to truly be saved, can't ever fly planes into a building? I definitely don't think you should. I, I, but, and, I, and I'm going to get to why I feel... I, th- I think it's appropriate for me to feel that way. I think it's appropriate for me to feel that way. But, they, but here, they'll bring up all these things. But notice too, after he tells them a firm constantly maintain good works, he says, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies, and contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. So that's when they start saying, they start asking all these trick questions about what you think a saved person can do. You know, Pastor Tommy, do you believe that a saved person, you know, has to go to church the rest of their life? To, if, they're, you know, if they're truly saved, will they go to church? Because some preachers, you know, you got these Calvinists, if they don't go to church, they probably never really got it. Some of the camp meeting preachers like that. If they never go to church, they probably never really got it. So the one-uppers, they come along and they start asking, you know, the bigger questions. Well, do you think if a person gets saved and then they go and kill somebody? You know, because David, he committed murder. He committed a murder and adultery. He was still saved. And it's like, and you know, and so yeah, I believe somebody, you know, but at the same time too, you know, so then they got a one up. Okay, all right. Well, I'm going to make sure I do the password. Well, you know, do you believe a person gets saved and become uh, a mass kitten strangler and still be on their way to heaven? You know, and or, or do you believe a person can be get saved? And what if a person gets saved and they become a homosexual? You know, do you still think that person's saved? These, you know, what these are called? These are called foolish and unlearned questions. Is what they are. These are foolish and unlearned questions, and they do this to try to one up everybody. And so, obviously, we don't believe a person has to repent of their sins to be saved, but then that brings them, well, what about if a homo hears the gospel? You know, because they all hate the reprobate doctrine. So, what if a homo hears the gospel? Obviously, he doesn't have to repent of his sins. So, you know, if Elton John believes the gospel and, you know, he, then he's saved because he, he heard it and he believed it. And, you know, obviously, he didn't say anything because you don't have to say anything or say any prayers or anything like that. And, you know, and, and you don't have to repent of your sins so he can stay married to his husband or whatever you want to call it. And do we, listen, 
I'm just going to be honest. I don't think they're saved. And so I'm probably going to get exposed for that. Okay? But I'm going to defend myself here with some scriptures. At the end of the day, these are just dumb questions. And notice after it mentions the dumb questions, it says a man that is a heretic. Okay, and a lot of times we associate a heretic too with just anybody who believes different than we do on doctrine. And obviously, if somebody believes false doctrine, okay, you know, you can be a doctrinal heretic, but a heretic too is somebody who's causing division. And that's what these people are doing. They're causing division doctrinally with these dumb questions. And so it says, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. These people are just causing problems. We just need to avoid them, get away from them. It's, but what they do, they make everything a salvation issue. Listen, sometimes there's reprobates. Sometimes there's people that have been going over to a reprobate mind. Can we stop with the dumb hypotheticals? Can we stop with the dumb questions? Because, you know, we're, we're, if, if we start getting too dogmatic on your hypotheticals, we could be putting people in danger because according to your reasoning, we should probably let homos go ahead and come to the church in case they get saved. Oh, and by the way, if they get saved, if they make a profession... We have no right to doubt their salvation. Therefore, why can't we let homos in the church and be members in the church and all that kind of stuff? It's just, you know, this is, this is dumb stuff, okay? Listen, if somebody's a homo, I'm going to think they're a reprobate and I'm going to stay away from them <laughs> and we're not going to let them come in here. You know, so what, if so, what if somebody comes in church and is like, listen, I am a mass strangler and I kill people for pleasure. We're not going to let them come to church here. We're going to call the cops. Unfortunately, they still put people away for stuff like that. Okay, but perversion, they don't. But these are the, this is just this is dumb stuff. They're always bring up to one up everybody. They make every parable. They're, they're doctrinal novices. They make every parable about whether they make it about salvation, whether it has to do with salvation or doesn't. You know, there's a lot of parables that don't have anything to do with salvation. It is painful listening to some of these people talk about the parables. They don't understand how Israel under the Old Covenant, they were the people of God, but that didn't make them saved. Okay? And I don't have time to preach all that, but they, they don't understand that. So what they do is the same parables that trip up the work salvation crowd, they just go and take like the opposite position of the work salvation people, and it's like, you're both wrong. This, pa- this parable is not about salvation. This parable is about Israel losing the kingdom. Okay? We got into the kingdom through faith and through salvation. They lost the kingdom because they had no faith. So there, you can't compare these things. Okay? You can't compare these things. It's ridiculous to use a parable to teach someone could lose their salvation. But it's also ridiculous to take that parable and to make it teach eternal security when it wasn't trying to teach salvation. It was warning Israel, hey, you better have faith. You better believe on Christ or you're going to lose the kingdom. You're going to lose this ministry. You are not going to be a fruit-bearing branch. But they, they miss all that. They mangle parables trying to defend eternal security and salvation without works, but that's not what it's about. They tip, And so everything in the Scripture always turns into an argument too about whether someone was saved or lost. You know, sometimes the Bible isn't trying to discuss or describe whether they were saved or lost. It's not trying to do that. And so, but that's what everything turns into. And eternal security, it's 100% biblical. But, you know, we don't do the doctrine any favors by butchering scriptures to prove it. And sometimes I listen to people prove eternal security and just mangle the scripture. I'm like, I'm not on their side. It's like, I'm for eternal security. But this person does not know their Bible. 
And it's frustrating to listen to that stuff. We don't have to butcher the scriptures to prove eternal security. In fact, anytime we butcher the scripture to defend a true doctrine, we actually do damage to the truth. Because the heretics are going to pick that apart. Look at how they're applying this verse. They're, that makes no sense at all. Therefore, eternal security is wrong. No. Eternal security is right. That person is just an idiot. That person needs to get into a church and they need to grow and they'll learn that there's more in the Bible than just verses about how to get saved. There's verses about how to live a godly life and about how to be used of God and how to be used of the Holy Spirit. And so we got, we got to watch out for that. But when you try to challenge these one-uppers to live a holy life, they try to bait you into coming across as believing certain things that you probably don't so they can stamp an unsaved label on you. Because they don't want you calling them the holiness. They bait people into questioning someone's salvation because of their behavior. And then you know what they'll call you? And this is when you know they're part of this internet community. When they call you a works backloader. Okay? A works backloader. Now, y'all are looking at me funny because you, you haven't seen that anywhere in your Bibles. Okay? You know, but, that, that, but that's, you got to know the internet community. All right? And, and they accuse you of being works backloaders. Now, you know, anybody know, know what a works backloader is? That's basically, obviously we're not saved by works. However, if you get saved, you will do the works. And therefore, and, and, okay, now first off, that's not necessarily true. Okay, that, that's wrong. Okay, but at the same time too, does that make someone unsaved? Okay, now, the one-uppers will say, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, it's either work salvation or it's not work salvation. Okay? Well, it's backdoor works. Then it's works. If it's work salvation, they're not saved. So if it, so you, you got, you got, you got to decide one way or the other. So the one uppers, they've just taken the most extreme and even the works backloaders, as they call it, they'll just say it's not saved. But here's, here's where they're going on. Now turn over to James 2. Okay? Turn over to James 2. I want to help everybody. I think we all know James 2. I think we all understand. The faith without works is dead. I'm not going to preach all of that. But let's read some of the passages after this because this is where um, I think they are going wrong and then even pastors too combating these people are kind of making some mistakes where we're not articulating clearly what we believe and what we're trying to do. But James 2.17 says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now, let me just stop right there. One of the reasons we know this isn't talking about how someone gets saved is because the Bible is very clear. Abraham was saved. Years before that. Okay? It was years before that. But this testimony of Abraham's faith he had towards God, that was a witness to everyone else that he was of faith. Because anyone could say, I have faith. But we can't see their heart, can we? Now, God can see their heart. You cannot be justified to God with your works. You can only be justified through your faith. But you can't be justified to man without works. You know why? Because we can't see the heart. I can't see your heart. So again, if somebody comes here and they make a profession to get saved 
And then I find out they're, you know, they become a mass kitten strangler or something like that. You know, I just, that, that's, that's sick and twisted and messed up. I don't think a person is going to do something like that. Well, you think a person that in order to maintain their salvation, they can't strangle kittens. You know, no, I just think that something's really wrong with you. And since I can't see your faith, I can't see your heart. I can only see your works. I think you're a psycho. I think, I, you know, I think, I think you're a psycho based on your works. And I don't think I'm going to see you in heaven. Because of that. Now, fortunately, you're not going to stand before me in heaven. And, and, you know, but, at, but at the same time, if you're asking me to judge, you know, I, I can only see works. Let's keep reading. It says, see how, that how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only, Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Rahab, and so Abraham did this great work of being willing to sacrifice his son where Rahab the harlot, she did this tiny work of just putting a scarlet thread out her window. And because of that, those spies knew, hey, she's on our side. She, she's with us. And just that one work she did, it told everyone else that she believed what she was saying, that she believed. And so, you know, we're justified before men by our works. So if you are some foaming at the mouth, lascivious, pot-smoking, free gracer, and you come into a church and you stir up trouble in that church, you blow up things in that church... You cuss out the preacher, and then he gets up and is like, we're kicking this guy out of the church. I don't even think he's saved. Why don't you think he's saved? Because of his foul mouth? Because of his behavior? You think a person has to have works in order to be saved. No, I'm just saying, I can't see your faith if you don't have any works. That's what I'm saying. And I'm saying, if you have the works of a maniac, if you have the works that look like a lost person, we're not going to let you be a part of this church. And I'm not going to be able to help it if I just can't help but thinking you might not be saved. I just, I'm, I'm sorry. But again, you're, you're not going to stand before me on Judgment Day. And so I can't see someone's faith without their works. Doesn't mean they're not saved. They're not going to stand before me on Judgment Day. But if I am in a situation where I am judging someone, of course I'm going to look at their works. It's all I can see. And so what someone professes is actually more important in certain ways too, because if someone comes to this church and wants to be baptized or join our church and they are a great person, they're a moral person, they don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew or hang with those that do, but then they're like, I believe I'm going to heaven because I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew and I'm a good person. We're not baptizing that person. They're not even professing faith in the right gospel, so we know they're not saved. But then, what if, but then that person though who comes into a church Okay, you know, and they're, uh, you know, they're saying the right thing, but acting like a maniac. So, you know what, there might, there's going to come a point where we're going to have to treat them as a heathen or a publican and put them out of the church. We're going to have to make that judgment. And it's going to be based on, it's going to be based on their works. Anyone can learn what they are supposed to say. Anyone can learn a lingo. But we need to keep in mind when we are, when we're out soul winning, too, we need to understand most people have not been trained on what to say and they're not good at articulating what they believe. And so, 
There's going to be, there, they, people might say some things that technically aren't correct, but after we talk to them and they maybe change their tune a little bit, they probably were saved. They just didn't know how to articulate it. You know, they don't know a lot, they don't know a lot of these terms, but at the same time too, there's, there's people too who, well, and I guess too, you could say, you know, in, in the free grace world, we claim those who deny eternal security are unsaved. Right, uh, we I agree with that, but often though, when we talk to people, we'll ask them, "Hey, is there anything you can do to lose your salvation?" And you can tell no one's ever asked them that before. You can tell they've not been challenged with that before. If they don't correctly answer it right away, it doesn't mean they never fully trusted Christ. There's a big difference between someone who's never really been challenged on something and someone who has studied it out and is denying eternal salvation. There's a big difference between that person. If I hear some preacher get up, I studied this out, I've been studying this for years, and I've come to the conclusion that a man can lose his salvation, I'll say, I don't believe that guy's saved. But that person who hasn't been at church much, they haven't been trained, they haven't been taught what to say, maybe it's been years since they got saved, and they're just not ready to give all the right you know, answers right away. You know, when you're asking them, do you believe a person's going to be saved, and, like, you know, and if he goes out and strangles a hundred kittens, is still going to go to heaven? I don't, they're probably, I don't think that person's saved. You know why? Because you, you just gave them a hypothetical where you asked them to justify someone. Well, all we can see are works. Okay? And that's what you used. You, you, you used works, and so of course they're probably you know, going to say something like that. So often preachers too, though, they get baited into preaching a works-based justification simply because they are convinced these people aren't saved based on their works. And they might be right, but they end up making themselves look like heretics when you say a saved person will never act like this person. Well, you don't know that because first off, sometimes saved people get in the flesh pretty bad. You know, sometimes saved people too are saved, but they haven't been trained well. They haven't been taught, you know, and we, you, you got to give some patience with some of these people. But these ones that are just like this, after the first and second admonition, they just want to keep pushing it. When you just can't give them an answer that satisfies them, it's, they're looking for a fight. And they will. They'll come into churches like this and they start asking weird questions. They start going into weird hypotheticals. And it's just, it, these are the kind of things we need to avoid. And good night. How do I have this many notes left in my sermon? I, I'm, I'm going to have to quickly cover the rest of this. But listen. You know, just advice for people out there when you come across these. Don't say that people are lost and not saved based on James 2 and their lack of works. But just say, this is, this is what all we need to say. And this is what I would say. I am not able to see someone's faith without their works. And based on their works, I think they're as lost as a billy goat in a tornado. No. And, and I heard a preacher say the other day that somebody, he thought, he thought somebody was lost as a billy goat in a tornado because of the language and stuff they were using. And this guy is right on repentance. He is right on salvation. But he was just saying, based on that guy's language, I think he's as lost as a billy goat in a tornado. But at the, you know why? Because he's judging his works. He can't see his faith. He can't see his faith. And so, you know, how could a truly wicked person too who is preaching the right gospel, still be saved according to Scripture. Well, we've got a verse for that. Being justified freely 
by His grace. Romans 3.24 Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed in the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Is it excluded? By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. So listen, you fall into a doctrinal trap when you try teaching a works-based justification before God. Just say, if they put their faith and trust in Christ, they are justified before God. But, based on their works, they're not justified before me. But, fortunately for them, they will not stand before me on Judgment Day. And if they stand before Christ, having put faith in Him, they will get into heaven based on the work of Jesus Christ. How could somebody that wicked still go to heaven? Jesus. Yes, a wicked person can be saved and go to heaven if they have believed on Christ. You better believe it. When we stand there on Judgment Day and we've seen Christ and we watch wicked people go into heaven and we will be one of those wicked people that go into heaven, everyone will know the reason that wicked person got into heaven was because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, while we're down here on this earth, we're probably going to get it wrong. We're not always going to be the best at picking out who's saved and who's not saved. You know why? Because all we can see is works. And anybody can repeat back the right facts to say, somebody listens to my preaching long enough, they're going to know the right answers to the, to the questions. But does that mean they believe it in their heart? No. No, that doesn't mean they believe it in their heart. And if they don't believe in their heart, it won't do them any good. So, um, just let's just keep things, act, let's keep things accurate. Grace is free. Salvation is not of works. People who are wicked after they get saved can still be saved if they believed. Because you don't lose your salvation. And you aren't guaranteed. It's wrong. Preachers make a mistake when they try coming up with some standard that every saved person will live up to, a timeline that every person who gets saved will follow. You can't do that. There's always going to be exceptions. That is wrong. Preachers need to stop falling into the traps of these clowns. Okay? No, just say, you know what? I'm glad that person saved they're wicked. They cause a lot of problems in this church. They're not welcome in this church. We don't want them here. And you know what? Just tell the whole church, you know what? The fact that we're going to see that crazy foaming at the mouth nut job in heaven, if they get into heaven, it'll be because of the blood of Jesus. You better be trusting in the blood of Christ to get you to heaven and not your own works. But in the meantime, if you want to stay in fellowship here, get your act together. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, act, don't act like these people. And so... I'm going to skip the point about the free grace one-uppers lingo and how to identify them. Uh, but, uh, you know, the backloading, the backdoor works, all that kind of stuff. But the, the hypothetical situations, we already covered, but the foolish and unlearned questions, we need to avoid those things. You know, and, you know, they'll ask, you know, you know, the, you know what if someone gets saved and, you know, and becomes a sodomite? Because this is why they hate the reprobate doctrine. Because it's like, well, you know, they'll, well, we're saying, you know, I don't believe a saved person will ever become a full-blown sodomite. I just don't believe it. Say, well, you believe in perseverance of the saints then? No, I, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in perseverance of the saints. I just don't believe a saved person ever will become a sodomite. I, I can't help it. I just, that, that's, that, you know, that, that's just the way I feel about it. And again, and if somehow a sodomite gets in, it'll be because of the blood of Christ. But in the meantime, you know what? It's okay for us to just, Stay away from certain things and stay away from... There is such a thing as a reprobate. 
And I, and I don't have time to go into the scriptures on that. I probably should have done two, two, two sermons on this. But look, Matthew 18, 17 says, and talking about dealing with conflicts, and if he shall neglect to hear them, if this guy will not listen to the church, you tell to the church, but if he be neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Treat him like a heathen. Oh, he's professing faith in Christ. He's acting like a heathen. He will not be governed. So you know what? He might be saved, but sometimes you have to treat people like that. It doesn't mean for sure they're not saved. But sometimes when people won't get their act together, they have to move forward and operate as if they're unsaved. And so, again, that uh, I'm, I'm going to skip the point too about how they try to outdo each other on the easiness of salvation. You know, again, listen, this this idea of trying to teach that calling on the Lord is a work. If anybody ever asks you the stupid question, and it's a stupid question, do you think a person has to pray a prayer? Or call for salvation? Listen, that's a stupid question you ought to avoid. You know what you should just respond to them? Say, um, do you believe that if somebody calls on the Lord and asks for salvation, that God won't give it to them? Okay? Because if you're, listen, I believe for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So why would I tell somebody you don't need to do it? Isn't that kind of dumb? I mean, so that, that's the question you need to ask. Don't, don't even answer that question. Who has the same prayer? You know, just, it, this, is, this is foolish contention. No, you ask them, do you believe if somebody calls on the Lord, believing in their heart, that God won't save them? If He will save them, because Jesus said, Him that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. Why would we tell somebody you don't have to come to Him? It, it just seems like it. But you know what they're doing? They're one-upping us. They're trying to one-up us. They're trying to, because they, they need us to be false prophets so they don't have to go to church. So they don't have to have accountability. It's just dumb stuff. And in Second Peter, it talks about those by whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And sadly, and, and let me tell you something, these, these preachers that are falling for these traps and are going into John MacArthur-esque language and a Calvinistic terminology and, and going into these false, they are accountable. They are accountable. They are wrong. They are wicked for doing that. And some of these people might not be saved. But at the same time, too, I'm tired of people like that making the way of truth to be evil spoken of. The free grace, like we defined, is exactly what the Bible teaches. And no matter how crazy some of the people are associated with it, we cannot veer off from that. Baptists have got to stop trying to distance themselves from the doctrine. Just distance yourself from the people. Just distance yourself from the people. It's okay to do that. People are not... When you think of a doctrine, if you think of a man, something's wrong. When we think of doctrine, we should think of the Bible. But you know what carnal people always want to do? They always want to talk about a man. You know why? Because they're trying to... Because you can't shame me with this Bible, but you can shame me with men. You can for sure shame me with men. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there I don't want to be associated with, I wouldn't want to be named with, and things like that. You know, don't... don't you know I. You know, I, I, but we can't let when people, I, I shouldn't name, I don't want to name these people. I don't want to give them credibility. But I was like, you know, when, when you talk about free grace, if you're thinking of YouTubers, something's wrong. When you think about free grace, you should think about Romans 5. When you think about free grace, you should think about the Apostle Paul. And that's what I think about when I think about free grace. But you know what false prophets do? They don't want you thinking about Paul. 
So you know what they do? They're going to point out the YouTube nut jobs. They're going to point out those people. It's a distraction. Don't fall for it. But in the meantime, too, let's not be like David, who because of his sin gave great occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme. And there's a lot of people out there who are preaching things that are right, but they're living wicked lives, and it's making truth look bad. And I don't want to do that. I, I want, I, we want to try to be a good example in these things. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for grace and uh, the freeness, the easiest of salvation. Lord, help us not to get caught up in these uh, personality contests and things, trying to just get followings or one-upmanship and all that foolishness. But help us just to proclaim the truth. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to... Uh, to grow as Christians, to grow in our doctrine and our behavior and help us to grow spiritually as a church, help us to uh, put a good face uh, on these doctrines and help us to represent them accurately and have a good testimony. In your name we pray. Amen.